The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Romans chapter 1 today. Thank you, choir, for the good music. Thank you for being here this morning. What we have witnessed so far this morning with the baptismal service, with the scripture that has been read, the songs that we have sung and heard, all of it shouts what we as followers of Jesus believe, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This gospel is an announcement of something that has happened. When we say we're glorying this morning in the gospel, the gospel is an announcement of something that has happened. And what has happened is this. The historical person, Jesus Christ, has come. He lived. He died. And three days later, he rose again, conquering sin, death, and the grave. This is the announcement of the gospel. And this announcement demands a response. You don't just hear the gospel and say, well, that's a a great idea or another way to live or some kind of righteousness that maybe I can obtain. It demands a response. You must do something with it. You can either ignore and reject it or you can receive it. Now, for those of us in the room this morning, which might just be the majority who have accepted this glorious announcement, for us... It's almost overwhelming when we sit and think of the magnitude. I have to be honest, um, during the baptismal service, when I'm back there getting ready to come back out, I'm listening to the songs, and as I hear the words again, I am back there doing a glory dance of all that's happening. That's why there's not cameras back there. There's a couple of reasons they're not back there, but that's one of them. All right? um, I, I just am overwhelmed with the magnitude of what this announcement means, that Jesus Christ has come, he lived, he died, he rose, he has forgiven our sin, our shame, our guilt. We are free. We of all people have hope, real hope. No matter what is happening in the world around us, no matter what happens in our life, there is hope. It springs eternal because of Jesus Christ. It's it's glorious. It's overwhelming to us. But I fully understand this morning that there are others who are not overwhelmed, they're underwhelmed. And this is, is, there's not a magnitude to this, it's sort of a mystery, it's, it's, it's sort of cloudy and misty, and what's the celebration about? So a guy died 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world, and he rose from the dead, and I'm supposed to do what with that? How does this announcement constitute good news for me? And how is it that this gospel that you're speaking of must be responded by every human being on the planet? And that's a fair question. And so in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul will give us a summary of the gospel. And I believe it's imperative this morning to see his reasoning and his logic as he walks us through this so we can understand all of us, those of us who know this truth and those who don't, the story of the gospel. Verse number one of Romans one, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, 
called to be an apostle, separated unto or separated for the gospel of God. As we look at our text this morning, you must realize that Paul, um, who is writing this letter to the Christians in Rome, that's not his original name. His original name was Saul. He was a rabbi. He was a Jewish leader. He was a Pharisee. And, and Saul, as a Pharisee, earlier in life, he hated everything Jesus. Everything. And when I say hate, he would be known today as a modern-day terrorist against this way, these followers of the one called Jesus. He would haul men and women off to prison and consent unto their death. He was a murderer. He did everything in his power to stop this movement of Christ. He hated Jesus. But something happened. And the one who hated Jesus became a herald of Jesus and this announcement. Paul met the risen Christ and it completely changed him. And for the rest of his life, he would give his life to be a herald of this announcement, the good news. The good news. Look at verses 2 and 3 which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And so Paul says, I've given my life for this announcement, this story of Jesus Christ, the Son, but I want you to know that Christ just doesn't come out of nowhere. There's a context to this Jesus. There's a background to this Jesus. And he believes, and I believe, it's important to know that this is an entire story. It's a story from start to finish. So we don't just come to Romans 1. It's there's Jesus. There's much more to this. He says there was a promise that was made. A promise that we find in the Hebrew Scriptures, which we call the Old Testament. And here's how the Old Testament starts. It starts literally from the beginning. And when I say that, I mean literally in the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. And it might be wise just for a moment this morning to pause because in our world and in our culture, we talk about God and people mention God, but oftentimes they mean something totally different than what we're thinking. When we speak of the God of the Bible, the Christian God, he is an amazing God. He, he's not just a simplistic God. And we get um, some clues here early on. In the beginning, God created. But shortly after, the Bible says that, and the Spirit hovered or moved over the waters. It's like, okay, wait a minute, God created. Oh, the Spirit is moving. And then it says, and God spoke. And his word goes out and it creates. And by the time you're all said and done, by, by chapter 3, you find that God says out loud, let us, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. And so the God of the Bible is one God, one God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is really important, because some of us think, well, God created the world because he was so lonely that he needed us. My friend, that's not the case. The triune God needed no one. This, this was an, an eternal 
uh, relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And they lived in harmony and beauty and love, selfless love, giving love, honoring one another, the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, the Spirit loving the Father and Son. A relationship of love, selfless love, in the triune God. The Bible tells us that we were created in His image. That you and I were designed to reflect this, this relational, selfless love of God. And that means that you and I have a purpose according to the Hebrew Scripture, according to the Bible. We are to know and love God and to take the love that we experience and enjoy from this selfless God and then to receive it, to glory in it, to know Him, and then to reflect it out to everyone around us. This morning, if you believe there's a purpose to life or there's meaning to life, you intuitively know that it has to do with something about human beings. Right? I have a purpose to life. Well, what is it? Well, most of humanity knows it has something to do with men and women. We want a better planet. We feed those who are hungry. We look for clean water for these tribes that need them. We build homes. There's a purpose. And we know that. And if you're here this morning and you don't believe there's a purpose... That this is all a cosmic accident. That you're just a bag of molecules banging together. That's, that's who you are. You'll live and you'll die and that's the end of it. If that's you this morning, certainly you would wish that there was a purpose to life. And I would submit to you, even in that longing to have one, you might want to rethink the fact that there is a purpose to this life. We were created to reflect the goodness, the kindness, the self giving love of God to take it from him and to give to others. And so we, we read the Hebrew scriptures, we open the pages, and it says that God created man and woman in his likeness to enjoy him, to have fellowship with him. This is an amazing verse in Genesis 3. In the cool of the day, God came and he talked on, on, a, on a regular basis to Adam and Eve. A God of perfect love, perfect relationship, sharing that relationship with his created beings to be, to be open, no shame, no guilt, to be completely known and to have perfect fellowship with the God of heaven. And this is what they had. This is what they had. But they believed a lie. And the lie was that God is not good and you can find your ultimate fulfillment and purpose outside of him. Don't worry about the design. Don't worry about the creator. You can be your own God. And in this act of cosmic treason, they rebelled against this loving relationship and literally cut themselves off from all life, the source of life, the God of the universe. And instead of fulfilling the purposes, they found disaster. And it was, it was immediately. God comes to them, and now they are filled with shame, guilt, and hiding. And, and right away, um, Adam starts gaslighting. He starts blaming God for his problems. He throws his wife under the bus, and I promise the relationship was never the same after that. Ever. Their children follow suit, and one kills the other. And this 
is what they exchange. Life and love and fellowship and knowing their purpose and design and enjoying that. They had sinned. And, and that word sin, I know we think archaic, sin, but it's not. It literally means to miss the mark, not to fulfill our purpose. Adam and Eve sinned. And we, too, have sinned. Romans 5.19 says, By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And this morning, as we've come to this place, all of us have sinned. We have sinned by not loving God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and not by loving humans. These two commandments that all the law hangs on. Every sin we commit has something to do with our lack of love for God, thumbing our nose at him, I don't need you, don't want you, I'll be my own God, or not loving human beings. We lie, we steal, we cheat, we lust. All of these things are sins against fellow human beings when we are supposed to reflect the glory and goodness of God to all those around us. The human race is a collection of people who have failed miserably, miserably in this regard. And no one escapes it. Just simply. Okay, think in your own life. So, so, to have perfect love, selfless love, just giving and flowing out of you to all those around you. How are you doing on that? And no one escapes this. If you're here this morning and think, I'm okay, I'm good, you are living in the height of rejection. I would just encourage you to go ask your spouse how you're doing in these areas. Or find your best friend and ask them. Or maybe ask your children. And if you're still looking for someone, come and ask me and I will help you. Clearly. We failed. We all have done things this morning in light of outside of our design to love him perfectly and love one another that not only trouble us, but we're ashamed of. We're ashamed of. Our hearts, our minds, our actions, our behavior. I mean, if, if we could plan our heads this morning, our last week, and it was shown on a screen, we would be ashamed. And we have left things undone. There are things that you and I know we are to do to love those around us, to give of ourselves, and we don't do them. And some of them are huge, and some of them are not. Call your mother. I mean, those things that we know intuitively we should do. And so we have all failed in this area. None of us have escaped. And not only that, every one of us is impacted by this problem of sin. Every one of us. Uh, so it was my wife's birthday yesterday, Rick's birthday today. Happy birthday. If anyone else is selling a bir celebrating a birthday, happy birthday to you. So I did something this year that I normally don't do. Uh, I'm really bad at picking out gifts, so I just give money. That's my answer. It's, it's safe. And so I thought this year I would buy a gift. And so I had Pastor Dan actually purchase it so my wife wouldn't know, came to his house. On the morning she woke up and could not believe it was actually a box in the house for the first time maybe in her whole life. And so she opened the gift, and she loved the gift, but it was the wrong gift. And we got it all sorted out. So we took it out of the box and, and got it all out. And then I realized I got to get this thing back in the box. And I don't know what happens with boxes, but once you take something out, they shrink. 
they literally shrink. And so I'm, I'm working on this box. I'm stuffing this thing in there, and I am getting irritated. Like, irritated. This is not fitting in here. And I just, and Kim said nothing, but I looked over, and it was almost like she, she didn't say, but she said, really, Rick, it's a box, right? And so I'm irritated, got it stuffed in, and then we took the dog for a walk, and the dog did something that dogs, I, he just did something, and I was still irritated. I said, ah, shit, and I said, ah, something. And my wife never looked at me, but talked to the dog. We, we talked to boxes and dogs. It's really a messed up home that we live in. And she said to the dog, whose name is Sid, she said, Sid, don't worry, it's not you, he's still mad at the box. Right? That dog had nothing to do with my problem, with my anger, but he felt it. The box, a box of all things. Listen to me. In humanity, our sins, they affect not only us, but everyone around us. That very morning, we were walking home, and uh, one of our neighbors a little boy came out, and he jumped to the dog, and he was petting the dog, and, and Kim just said, sweetheart, what are you guys doing for Easter? And he said, uh, um, we're not having it. My dad wrecked the house, and he's gone. You're going to tell me that that man's anger and pride and immaturity doesn't impact his wife? and his children, and if you think this through, that in our lives, you talk about dysfunction, it perpetuates. That angry father in that home is not just affecting himself, he's affecting his spouse, and probably his second one after a while, and his kids, and their kids, and the dysfunction. This is a web of sin and destruction that no one escapes, and it touches all of us. If you want to talk about a plague, this is it. It is sin. It is missing the mark. It is stepping outside of the design that God has for us. And no one escapes it. No one. But there's more. This is not just a problem between friends. Our sin and our failure is an affront to the holy God of heaven. Think with me. God creates in his in his love, in his eternal love and relationship. He, he shares that with humanity. He invites them into that perfect fellowship to know him, to reflect him, to enjoy him. And what do we do? We thumb our nose, we rebel, and we turn this planet to hell on earth. Have you seen what humans do to each other? The hatred... The injustice, the abandonment, the rape, the murder, the violence, the evil. Open your eyes. This is the planet that we live on. And it's really easy to say, look at all the evil and what humans do out there. But that line of evil runs through every human heart. We are rebels by nature. We are rebels by choice. And we say to God in his good design, I'm done with you. I will do it my own way. And the mess that we've created is tragic. It's horrific. We have cut ourselves off from life and ultimate love. 
And the holy God sees you and he sees me. And we may have never done those things that are evil, but our hearts have betrayed us. And our holy God is angry at sin. Your sin and my sin. And he will deal with it. You say, well, God's good. And so he'll just ignore it. My friend, the very thing that you're banking on to help you, that God is good, will be the very thing that judges you. Because God is so good that he's not going to let your sin or my sin slide. He's going to deal with it because he's righteous. If, if, if in our own town there was a horrific murder and the murderer stands before the judge and the judge says, hey, I'm a good guy. So guess what? You're free. No one would think that judge was a good guy. We would be mortified. We would have his job. Because we know that's unjust. And the God of heaven will deal with sin. He must. Listen, my friend, your sin, my sin, it ultimately destroys everything. Everything. It destroys love, peace, happiness, marriages, homes, nations. It's a cancer. And the God of heaven will deal with this cancer. And he will confine it to a place where it will never disrupt his good creation again. And that place is hell. Because God is holy. He is loving. He loves his creation too much to allow this cancer to eternally infect them. We cannot match or rise to his holy standard. It is beyond us. The chasm between you and God and me and God is so vast we can't even imagine. And no self-effort will ever help us. Our religion, our works, whatever we think we can do, and we continue to accumulate this debt against the holy God, the failure is so deep. It deadens our soul. And we're in trouble. It's almost as if you and I as human beings, we need a new birth. A new birth. Look at verses 3 and 4 of our text. You would think at this point, and just at looking at humanity in our own lives, that, that God would abandon this failed experiment of humanity. Like, ah, okay, have it your way, I'm done. But he doesn't do that. A promise was made that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And so he says in verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. God doesn't abandon his creation. Instead, he devises a rescue plan. This is the love of this eternal relational God. He doesn't just let you run away. He pursues. And so he says, okay, you have rebelled. You deserve death. I will pursue you. And so what he does is he pulls one man, Abraham, and says, Abraham, I'm going to take you, make a covenant with you, and by your seed, I'm going to give you my law. I will be your God. You will be my people. And you will be able to display to the world what it looks like to be brought back into relationship with me, and to reflect me perfectly. And so Abraham and his family were chosen. how they do? 
they're humans. They did bad. Abraham, I, they, they all did poorly. And so then he chooses one from there, and David. And he says, David, from the line of Abraham, the, the seed, you're the king. And there will be a king who comes through you who will rescue and will save and will fix this problem. And so David gets the promise. How did David do? Murder, adultery, and every son after him. A colossal mess. Failure after failure after failure. And the picture is this, that we are in trouble. No wonder Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We're in trouble. And my, my friend this morning, we don't need a teacher. We don't need a politician. Heaven knows we don't need a politician. We don't need an economist. We need a savior. We need a savior. Someone who would be perfect. The perfect representative of humanity. Someone who never failed. Someone who never missed the mark. Someone who lived the life that we could not. And here is the glory of Christianity, which makes the Christian faith different from every religion in the world. This loving God, who should have abandoned mankind, writes himself into our story. And he becomes the one who steps in to our place, who steps in front of this torrent of sin, death, destruction, and separation. He is the one that allows all of my failure, all of my guilt, all of my sin to crush the head of his son. And in some glorious, mysterious way, the death of the perfect one becomes my representation. And he steps into my place so that I can go free. This is the gospel of Christ. We need to be saved from God, and the very God we need to be saved from is the God who saves us. He takes my sin, my failure, my unrighteousness, my judgment, and he who knew no sin becomes sin for me, that I, Rick Dressler, can be made the righteousness of God in him. And when we put our complete trust in the one who lived the life we could not, who died the death that we deserved and gloriously resurrected by his own power on the third day and lives forever, we can be reconciled back to the God of heaven. And my friend, if you're wondering this morning, why is this good news? That, my friend, is good news. You and I can be redeemed and brought back into the relationship that God has designed for us in perfect love, perfect fellowship, receiving from him all of his love and all of his glory and reflecting it out to others and being reconciled to this God so that we are safe and secure and free in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know him, today, today is the day of salvation. Today is a day that I say, Lord, I see it. This is good news. This announcement is for me. And I freely receive whatever this means in your mind to fully grab onto Jesus and trust him for your eternal soul and well-being. You can be saved and rescued and made 
free. That's the story. That's the whole story. And it is glorious. It's glorious. But there's more. As I close this morning, I want to talk to people now who know about the story. And I want to remind you as we celebrate and gloriously celebrate this morning. I will sleep for three days after today. I'm telling you, I just, I have thoroughly enjoyed just praising him today. But may we remember that the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. Today. And he has not just saved you to protect you and take you to heaven. He has saved you so that through this new birth, Christ can be born in us and we can honestly reflect now as failed human beings by his power, the love and the glory that he originally designed for us. I won't take the time this morning to read Colossians 3 from, from verses 1 through 17. I know our time is short, but, but let me just quickly run through this for the people who know Christ this morning. Paul says in Colossians 3, 1, If ye, since you're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead. That old self, that self that, that just is swept away with this world, that part of the Christian is dead. And now, for the believer, whether you feel it or not, my friend, we are alive in Jesus Christ. And so he tells us then, in light of that, that we, verse 5, should put to death, we should mortify what's earthly with, within us. That, that we as God's people now, this new humanity, this new creation, that, that as we understand what has taken place, we then should put to death what's earthly in us. And he tells us what's earthly in us. He says, um, immorality, impurity, evil desires. You used to live like that. Quit living like that. That is not a reflection of the God that you serve and love. And then he goes on to say this. He, he sort of raises the stakes. And in verse 8 he says, and also, not just don't do those old things, but put off these, anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk out of, your, out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off this old self with its deeds, and that you should put on this new self, which is renewed. Now watch this, verse 10. In the knowledge after the image of him who created him. And Paul is fully aware of what he's talking about. Paul is going back then to the original design and saying, listen, this spirit in you is designed to change you back to the original plan and purpose of loving God and loving one another. So he says in verse 12, Therefore, put on as the elect of God compassionate hearts. Christian, our world is a mess today. And do you know what they need? They need believers who have experienced this new life, who have compassionate hearts. The world is cold. The world is callous. Nobody cares. That should not be the case with God's people. This life that resurrected Christ is within me. 
and I should have a compassionate heart. I need to kill the old man and allow Christ to live through me. He tells us to make sure that we have compassionate hearts, to have kindness. Kindness. Christian fathers today, be kind to your children who live in a world that is unkind and confusing. He goes on to talk not only about kindness, but then he, he says humbleness of mind. Humbleness of mind. To be gentle, believer, of all people on this planet, with the new life within, we should be humble and we should be gentle. And maybe start with Facebook. Seriously. He tells us to be patient. Wives, be patient with your husbands. They talk to boxes. Right? They, they have issues. They, they, they need patience. He goes on to say, forbearing one another, talking to the church. This new life within should make me strive to forbear with you, to forgive you, and to have that bond of peace or love that holds everything together. He goes on to say, the peace of God ruling your heart to be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so my beloved this morning, those of us who know him, may we understand that this resurrected life doesn't stop on a Sunday morning service where we raise our hands and are excited. This resurrected life lives on us now. And by his grace, may we leave this place once again brought into line with our purpose to love God and to love humanity. Not like them necessarily, but love them. And when we do this as God's people, they can say, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Oh, God, we're amazed by your love for us, that you've invited us into this loving, self-giving relationship of the Godhead. And Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day before they leave this place, that they would talk to me, talk to someone who brought them or invited them, that they would trust Christ, that they would just rest in his finished work, that they would see the gospel as the good news for them. Save them today. And Lord, for the rest of us who know you, may our hearts be filled with so much gratitude and understanding and knowledge of what's taken place, that we have been reborn that you live within us, may, us, may we strive to kill the old man and self and allow Christ to live through us in our words, our deeds, and our actions so that he would be glorified. We ask all this in his name. Amen.